and welcome to Paradigm Playbook, a podcast for entrepreneurs in the business of sports. Your hosts, Dave Kozak and Steve Cook, are business owners, successful entrepreneurs, sports enthusiasts, avid readers, and longtime friends. For years, they've read every business book on the market and built successful companies with what they've learned. This podcast will give you the critical takeaways in just 15 minutes a week. It's a quick and easy playbook for building a winning sports business. And now, here are your hosts, Dave and Steve. All right, hey everybody, welcome back to Paradigm Playbooks podcast. Today we're going to discuss some of the issues that uh, small business owners face. I think we'll start specifically in the sports business arena. Um, Steve, what, what would you give as kind of the top problem or one of the bigger issues in small sports businesses? Uh, the, the one I'm hearing the most about right now following the pandemic is an inability to re- attract and hire coaches, staff. Mm. So staffing becomes a big issue and we've been through it at Grand Slam. So we dug into it mm-hmm. and we've come up with some pretty easy solutions. I think before we dig into it, the good news about it is business must be coming back if we're short of coaches. Yeah. So it's like saying you don't have enough checkers at the at the grocery store or mm-hmm. um but I think there's plenty of businesses outside of sports that are experiencing the same challenge. Why is it if if you can't address that problem, why does it become such a big problem for most business owners? Um one is because those that are really good at sports aren't necessarily good coaches mm-hmm. and that um, the bulk of the sports participation is at a lower level and your more talented coaches are more attracted to coaching at a higher level. So the ma- the challenge becomes attracting or creating coaches to coach at the beginner level, mm-hmm. which if you think about it, it's like hiring a chef or cook to cook basic dishes. You know, if you're just hiring someone, you know, to warm the beans or, or mix a salad, it shouldn't be as hard as the person, the chef that has to prepare a fancier meal. Mm. So how does a company kind of solve that problem? So one of the ways that we've dug into it and I've seen other businesses duplicate is we basically attract people and train coaches. So mm. we, we start from scratch. Um, as you know, I'm very involved in the gymnastics side of it. So in gymnastics, the bulk of the students in their first two to three years are never turning upside down, never flipping. They're not doing dangerous skills. It doesn't take a lot of spotting, but it does take a mechanical knowledge of the skills they're doing. Mm-hmm. So with a, with a simple shadowing process, you can take a anyone who's a teacher, a parent, someone who's good with children, and train them in you know what they need to do. So uh, I mean, again, essentially the idea is, especially at this beginner level that you're talking about, where your the the skill requirement or the the fundamental skill requirement of the sport is not necessarily there. It's more the idea that find good people that can interact well and teach them how to coach the the particular sport. Yeah, so in on the baseball side of it, Dave, I mean, mm-hmm. you know that with all the, the baseball clinics that we've done together, we take every skill there and we basically just break it down into five 
skills. Mm -hmm. So if it's hitting a baseball, we talk about, you know, grip, hands, turn, stretch, snap. And that's basically all we're teaching. So um, I maintain it's easier to teach a skill than correct a skill. Mm -hmm. So in the sports world, if you break it down to building these, helping the students build skills, then you're working on very small things. So it's just a foot turn, a hand turn, a hand position, and that can be taught. We do it in the in the clinics that you and I have done mm -hmm. with Little League. We're basically de dealing with parents there. They're not trained coaches. They're not going to school to learn to become a professional coach. So we're doing it already. Yeah. So why not just um, take one of those that enjoys it, is interested in it, and say, okay, you can make money at this. So I think... Accepting the idea of training your own coaches, creating your own employees um, makes sense. And I get the feeling that in some instances, I know it's different in the financial world, but you do a little bit of that where you're attracting the person first and the skills second. Yeah. So I always have, have looked at uh, hiring and training as a recruiting process as opposed to, um, you know, the, the standard uh, put the job description out there and wait for people to come. I usually try and figure out what I'm looking for in the person and the individual, the skill set, and then go out and find that person and then train them to the job. Um, and I think in coaching it, that that is a hundred percent the way it needs to happen. You're not always going to luck out with somebody that is a talented player that has the skill set uh, to be a good player and then turn around and be a good coach, right? Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is the pay scale that most sports business owners use for those beginner classes. They're not paying the highest wage for that. No. Right. But it's probably one of the most profitable things a sports business does. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's critical to, you know, it, it is a variable cost that controls your, your top line dollars. So it's controlling how much money you're taking in. So it should never be the limiting factor. Um, in today's world, figuring out what the right amount to pay is the easiest thing in the world. And I, I'm surprised more people don't do it. Because um, the first question I always ask, have you posted that job on Indeed or, you know, one of those websites? And by changing the offering, you know, on a weekly basis mm -hmm. and just tracking the applicants can tell you where that price has to be. There's a price that you can get anybody to do any job. You just have to figure out what is the price. So, <clears throat> excuse me. We've talked before about, you know, the coaches that come in and, and find, or even the business owner that is the coach that comes in and finds some success and trains a good player and then focuses all their time on that one player. It's counterintuitive to success in business, right? The, rather than chasing the one, you want the many, right? That's the idea yeah. of business. So isn't it more important then to have your best coach teach at the lowest level uh, you would think but it's almost never how they pay because there's an attachment to the level of player you're coaching to your personal ego so you, a lot of coaches pin their net worth to the to the level of their their sure. participant um and maybe that's true in sports but maybe it's true in in finance as well if, if you're managing portfolios for the ultra wealthy do you have a higher opinion of yourself than if you're 
you know, managing, you know, smaller retirement funds? Um, I, I think ego is a big problem in general mm-hmm. um, and allowing it to get in the way of, of what you're doing or what your objective is, is, is a big deal. Um, I've never, I've never dived into the pay scale or the, the logic behind, you know, hiring coaches. But as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm thinking about it. Well, if my, one of my best models for business is to bring them in young and keep them in the system. And one of my most profitable models is bringing in a larger young group and being able to to have a successful session and have them come back, then would it be better to put those resources towards a better coach for that level? And is that someone that you need to train? How do you train them? And how much time do you spend on training for that particular subset of, um, you know, classes that you're running? I I think, you know, one of the measurements you can use, if you're measuring the ROI, the, the return on investment of a coach mm-hmm. and they're so we all know in sports that your lowest return is your highest level player. You put more time into them. They actually pay your highest athletes pay the lowest amount per hour of training time. Mm-hmm. So if you're paying your highest coach, then your, your net return on those players is less. So you, everybody measures in, yeah, but they attract the younger ones. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it make sense to then take that high level coach with a low ROI, mix in some lower level, but still pay them the high amount, but then you can get a more balance to the ROI overall mm-hmm. rather than just measure it on that, that high level athlete. The other thing that happens in um, the higher the level of the athlete the lower the number of participants per class or session or training training group. Um, so when you go in and you start where one coach is working with, you know, seven to 10 players, and then as they get better, they're working. And, and you've seen it at Grand Slam. We yeah. get down to where, you know, our top coaches want to coach one-on-one, one at a time. Well, the return's just not as good. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's interesting too that the coaching methodology is not as, uh, clear as it is right now for me, which is if I've got a talented coach and they're coaching end users, students, then wouldn't that talented, talented coach also by nature be pretty good at teaching other coaches how to do it? Very often, but not always. I mean, yeah. Is it because so, they don't they don't choose to do that or they don't want to? Do- uh, some of them are, you know, they hold it close to the vest and, and don't want to share their talents. They like the idea of being, you know, the standalone high level coach. But that's um, counterintuitive to business. Right. So, uh, you know, what I've found is that, you know, I know enough about the sport that I can I can train a coach. And so if it's my decision, if I'm running the business, then I decide who's shadowing who. And you may want that the coach coaching the lower level athletes to mirror some of the techniques, but not all of the the teaching skills. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we found um, very um, interested parents and local teachers that, you know, everybody talks about a side hustle now. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be that hard. And in general, if you compare what we're paying a coach to spend an hour with children versus what you would pay to 
you know, deliver for Amazon or to work in a grocery store or any other side hustle, we pay pretty well. Mm-hmm. So those those high level incomes shouldn't be hard. And we're not forcing anybody to say, you know what, I need you to get to 30 hours. If we have a coach that wants to work six hours a week, we're happy. Mm-hmm. We pay them very well. They do a great job for those six hours. And it's it's a neat little side hustle. But we're probably paying them 30 to 40 to 50% more than what they would get if they were on the open market looking for a job at you know, a convenience store or delivery service or anything like that. So is there uh, a burnout associated with it that causes people to want to elevate to, you know, coaching that high performing athlete? Is there, what's, what, why would someone not, especially if they, if you could arguably negotiate a better rate to coach a larger group of younger students who have a lifetime income potential to the, to the business, right? Why do people walk away from it? Well, I think there is a burnout and I think we stretch them too far and that that's our fault, not theirs. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody that's stretched out, if they're doing the same thing, um, not only are they more physically tired and it is a physical job, you know, you're on your feet, you have to have a high level level of energy when you're teaching, if you're going to be good. So the first step is that they lose their energy and then you're not getting the retention because a lot of the retention in the sports world is based on an attraction to that coach. I love my coach. I love my teacher. So that's that's important. And the more they work, they do start to get that burnout. And instead of dialing it back and bringing in another coach, we tend to stretch them and try to get a little bit more time because at one point they were the attraction to our business. So it's like everything else that we talk about, and Dave, it, it's a transition, and you have to be changing all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we've said, you know, many times, the only thing consistent about small business is change. Yeah, and I think the the probably the biggest factor I've seen in coaching failure is that energy, right? Um, and if all of you know, I have four kids. We've done every sport under the sun. And, um, we'll go into a six week, eight week, eight week session for a particular sport. Then week one, there's a dynamic, articulate, energetic coach running it and you're feeling good. Week two, that person's not there. There's some trainee or secondary coach that doesn't bring the energy. doesn't bring the, the, uh, articulation isn't isn't on the ball and it loses steam almost immediately and that's where my frustration lies in the in the sports business is that you know you you show a really good program because of the talent of the coach subsequent week they're not there and weeks after that maybe they they show up uh for a spot uh, and then I'm just disenchanted with the business. Mm-hmm. And so I've gone from different organization to different organization with my own kids to find somebody that, that does it the right way. And it, it's, uh, it's disenchanting to see how often that kind of repeats itself. Well, I, I think there's multiple ways that you can engage employees, uh, coaches in a way that gets them more engaged in your business. 
One is having them reach out in into other segments of your business, whether it's sales or marketing or customer service, um, which you have to pay for, but it gives them a another outlet. So if part of what they're paid for is meeting with the parents or speaking to the PTA or and you include those things in, now you're helping to build their ego and they're still there coaching. So they they retain more of that energy. Which I think you're right. It's it's critical that that energy stays there. Well, and and if not, you just lose people. Yeah, and and speaking of losing people, that you know, one of the you know a related problem, but we'll talk about it another time. Is a lot of um, sports businesses, oddly enough, tell me that um, you know when I talk about marketing, they say, "Well, I have plenty of kids. I have kids on a waiting list," which sends shivers down my spine because you know that's like saying i i've got money over there that i can't get my hands on it's convertible dollars yeah so um and i think it all ties together you know getting the right staff and we'll talk about adjustments to the business that you know to basically eliminate that waiting list so there's you know all kinds of ways to do that that we don't have time for today but the first is to make sure you have enough staff that you can handle the and then to keep the staff energy so that you're attracting the right people, you're teaching the right skills, and that they're teaching what you want to. The other challenge you get is attracting the right person that replaces some, and you have a seamless transition mm-hmm. from one employee to the other. Well, and I, I think this goes to the expense component where most small business owners are trying to maximize their profit, and which is not, that's not a bad thing, right? Trying to maximize profit. But they do it in spite of uh, future potential success. And so, you know, myself, if I'm running a clinic or a program and I'm the dynamic coach, while I'm being dynamic and doing that session, I am training somebody and paying double, right? So I'm paying A coach and B coach to be there to learn because B coach becomes far more valuable in the future when they can do it on their own as opposed to do it. And I think too many people will, will, throttle that back and say, no, this person can run it by himself. So we'll just let them run it by themselves. If you have an excellent coach out there on the field or in in the arena or in the gym or wherever, there should always be a second coach there to learn from your A coach. So at some point you have two A coaches and you're doing the same thing. And now you're talking about that duplication, that ability to run two sessions where one coach is warming up the second group and there's a 15 minute overlap while they're both there and you you don't have the downtime and you've got, you know, the expansion the expansive nature of running a, a full full fledged you know program per square foot. Yeah, and when we talk about you know return on investment, we also talk about return on square foot and are you using your whole facility? And so there's a lot of things we we can dig into that will you know change things. But I, I think that that waiting list is something that you know we should make a whole session out of that. Yeah. No. And and I think the the point that it seems that you're bringing to the table here is you, you absolutely have to find people that have, that were willing to bring the energy. I think there's a confidence component to it too, right? Where I've watched and observed many athletic arenas and one coach is willing to be heard by all. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care if it's a parent, it's a kid, he's talking loudly enough to the child that the parent can hear it. And then you have the other coach that won't, talk loudly enough for anybody to hear and it kind of diminishes and i i feel that's a confidence thing um but 
the idea, especially in the in the youth segment of coaching, right? High energy and being able to to speak loudly enough for everyone to hear has a very real impact on uh, the the type of environment you're engaging the student in, right? If you're if you're whispering to a kid, no one else is learning at the same time, right? The parents aren't learning what you're telling to the kid, and your child runs off the field, and the parents like, well, what what did Coach say to you? Like and the kids like I don't know I was I was half paying attention half not or they say something that was a you know opposite of the of what the coach was really trying to to articulate. So I think there's a confidence that has to be built, but I think that confidence comes back to culture when we talk about company culture. What are you doing in your in your business to make sure that your people go out on the field or in the field house or out on the turf with the confidence and the energy to do what you're asking them to do? If you don't set that tone early, you're not going to get it. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I often say, and we, we put in that, you know, the paper on the, the, the five ways to solve the coaching problem is that I'd rather have a young teacher than an experienced performer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, athletic performers, you know, aren't trained to speak. Teachers are trained to speak. Um, and oddly enough, teachers are not afraid of children. So the, you know, and you talk to a lot of people and they say, you know what, the last thing I want to do is be in front of a room of 25 kids. Um, and it is a bit intimidating, but if you get a teacher, then they're, they're already experienced in that. And then teaching them the skills that they have to translate isn't all that difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, we in sports tend to say, yeah, but my sport's different. It's very technical. You wouldn't understand archery or you wouldn't understand swimming or, you know, but basically, if you understand biomechanics of any sport, or you can be taught biomechanics, you can figure out pretty much any sport. And yep. there's so much information out there that that children and parents aren't aren't reading on their own. That if you develop a methodology for translating that, mm -hmm. then you're a teacher, you're a coach. Yeah, great stuff. So that's all the time we have for today. That was Always, fun. We can we can get into it uh, on any of these subjects, but stay tuned for the next time we discuss some of the other issues facing uh, small sports businesses. Thanks, Dave. Paradigm Playbook members, your exclusive content, including the related page from the playbook and game plan video for applying this concept to your business, are available now. Check your inbox today. Visit ParadigmPlaybook.com for past episodes and additional resources for running a successful sports business. See you next week.